Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Candace, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop for Caregivers Coping with Your Loved One's Pancreatic Cancer, and this is part two of the two-part series on Living with Pancreatic Cancer. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and I actually do want to specifically call out to the uh, pancreatic organizations who have also um, been very important in helping to spread the word about this program. So I want to actually call to the Hirschberg Foundation for Pancreatic Cancer Research, the Lusgarten Foundation, and, of course, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, or PANCAN, um, as important resources, as well as all of the other groups that have helped to spread the word. And because of that, we have so many of you on the call today. We have over 531 participants on the call today, and you come from all of the United States. And we have international participants from Canada, Costa Rica, France, the United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So it's really a credit to each of you that you have chosen to spend this next hour with us. Now, today's program um, is supported by the Celgene Corporation, Merrimack Pharmaceuticals, Inc., and a contribution from Lilly. And I really want to thank them for their support of this entire, actually, series, this two-part series, as well as for their corporate uh, sponsorship and co cooperation in making this program possible. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Aaron Kent. Um, Dr. Kent is an epidemiologist and program director, Outcomes Research Branch, Healthcare Delivery Research Program, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, the National Cancer Institute. Dr. Kent is going to address becoming a caregiver, the unique stresses and rewards of caregiving, what research tells us about informal caregivers, which is many of you on the call today, coping with holidays, birthdays, and special occasions, and managing family, friends, partners, and traditions. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Kent. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I am honored to be invited by Cancer Care and to be speaking with you all today on this important topic of balancing the stresses and rewards of becoming a caregiver for a loved one with pancreatic cancer. It is serendipitous, actually, that November is recognized both as National Caregiver Month um, by Presidential Proclamation and Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. So this uh, talk could not come at a better time. I wanted to first indicate that I'm both a researcher and a health science administrator at the National Cancer Institute, and much of my work has focused on cancer patient outcomes, including quality of life, the impact that cancer has on families, and cancer caregiving. I am not, however, a clinician, and so I do not have experience in providing direct medical or psychosocial care. The other two speakers on the call do, however, and you will be hearing from them shortly. My role today is to tell you about what research tells us about being an informal or family caregiver for someone with cancer. A recent patient survey led and just recently published by Cancer Care found that the impact of cancer on family was the number one concern of cancer patients, indicating how critically important it is that we pay attention to cancer patients' families in addition to patients themselves. Informal or family caregivers are people who help individuals with cancer meet their day-to-day -day needs, or what we sometimes call activities of daily living. They may be spouses, partners, children, relatives, friends, neighbors, even coworkers. 
And the tasks that they may help with can be many and varied, including not only things like helping to prepare meals, go to the grocery store, housekeeping, but also bathing and eating. They can also include what we call medical or nursing tasks, like administering medication, changing bandages, and helping with things like infusion ports and catheters. Caregivers also often help by accompanying their loved ones to medical appointments, communicating and coordinating with healthcare providers, and sometimes even advocating for services. It is difficult to estimate how many people are serving in this role in the U.S. at a given time, uh, especially for patients specifically with pancreatic cancer. The National Alliance for Caregiving conducts a survey of caregivers nationwide once about every five years, and their most recent estimate from 2015 is that approximately 43.5 million adults are served as a caregiver for a loved one with a serious medical condition. Of those, approximately 2.8 million served as a caregiver for someone with cancer. Although estimates will vary, it is safe to say that there are thousands of people right now who fit that role and thousands more to come. Rosalind Carter, former first lady and caregiving champion, has been quoted as saying, there are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. Research has shown that there can be benefit finding or um, positive aspects uh, that caregivers often find from serving in their roles. A study led by Young Mi Kim from the University of Miami at Coral Gables identified domains uh, of benefit finding among cancer caregivers. So these, I'm going to list some, but um, they're not, this is not an exhaustive list. Um, acceptance, so helping to take things as they come. Empathy, awareness and concern for other human beings. Appreciation, more, being more aware of the love and support from other people. Family, bringing family closer together. Positive self-view, helping to become a stronger person and cope more effectively. And finally, reprioritization, so helping to identify true friends and a deeper sense of purpose. All of these aspects, these positive aspects, can come out of caregiving for a loved one with cancer. At the same time, we also know that there can be many challenging aspects of being a caregiver, particularly for people who are caregiving for a, a long period, for um, a lot of their week, so about 20 hours a week or more. And a recent cancer-specific analysis that uh, the National Cancer Institute and Cancer Support Community sponsored and, and was led by the National Alliance for Caregivers um, used data from the 2015 Caregiving in the U.S. study and found that cancer caregivers on average spend over 32 hours per week providing care which is more than those whose care recipients had other conditions. Cancer caregiving tends to be more episodic and intense than caregiving for those with other health conditions. Cancer caregivers more often help with activities of daily living, so the bathing, the eating, going to the grocery store, things like that, than other caregivers. And despite this involvement, many cancer caregivers um, have not had conversations with doctors, nurses, or other care providers about their needs. Just over half discuss their loved one's care needs with a provider, while less than a third discuss their own self-care needs. In addition, about 40% in the survey reported performing complex medical nursing tasks without prior training or preparation. In the same study, half of cancer caregivers reported feeling high levels of emotional stress, and about one quarter reported financial strains. Other studies have shown that cancer caregivers can face sleep disturbances, and poor psychological outcomes like depression and anxiety. Caregivers often neglect self-care needs in service of caring for their loved ones, 
and they may not be asked about their own health needs. And this is a critical area for both research development and a needed cultural change in clinical practice. Now, although these findings that I've just listed may seem pretty negative, um, I provided these to you to help normalize any feelings that as caregivers you may have about the stresses of caregiving. It's, it's not stressful or positive. It can be both um, is what I'm trying to say here. But sometimes at the same time and sometimes at different times. It's normal for it to feel hard, and it's important to reach out for help. Social support is critical. Support should be thought about in a multidimensional way along the lines of both instrumental support, so that's things like preparing meals, providing transportation to appointments, help with childcare, and emotional support, so providing a listening ear, companionship, and affection. Both kinds of social support are important and can benefit both patients and caregivers. In fact, in situations where there is a network of carers with the patient at the center, that can be the most advantageous. Respite care programs, which can allow caregivers a break by providing paid caregiving services while that caregiver is taking a break, um, can also offer caregivers relief, although these services are often underused. It is not uncommon for caregivers to try to take on the role of, in quotes, moving through um, or doing what needs to be done. And these approaches have been looked into um, for, for certain kinds of, of, of for, for male caregivers in particular. Uh, Guilt is also an emotion that some caregivers face. Uh, the problem, however, is that a lack of engagement and appraisal of one's feelings can lead to many caregivers experiencing lower quality of life or what is sometimes termed suffering in silence. For some, spirituality, faith, and religious practice can help patients and caregivers cope with cancer. For many, fostering feelings of hope and managing feelings of guilt can be very helpful. For others, uh, prioritizing sleep, exercise, healthy eating can be critically important to coping with the stresses of caregiving. Meditation and other kinds of mindfulness practice can also help to acknowledge feelings as they come. In addition, there have been many formal interventions delivered by healthcare professionals developed to support caregivers and patients together cope with cancer. These interventions are generally divided into three categories. So those are the, that help educate caregivers for um, how to help their care recipients through symptom management, skills training designed to better promote, uh, to, to better promote coping skills, and, and, and also therapeutic counseling interventions. There are some that have significantly reduced burden, increasing confidence to take, for caregivers to take on the role of caregiving and improve quality of life. The more successful interventions are generally longer in duration and include a symptom management training component. And increasingly, more, more interventions are being developed that can be delivered at a distance, either over the phone or on the web. And these are showing promising results for many caregivers and their care recipients. A few other important tips for, for caregivers specifically. Um, if you wish to speak to your loved one's healthcare team directly, you will often need to get written permission um, for him, for, from him or her, given the Health Insurance Portability Accountability, or HIPAA Act, which governs how patients control and release their health information. In addition, the Family Medical Leave Act, or um, FMLA, requires that most employers, generally companies with 50 or more employees, grant their employees 12 weeks of unpaid job-protected leave per year for family members needed to take time to care for a spouse, parent, or child. But it's important to speak with um, individual employers directly to learn about unpaid time off. I want to say a little bit about milestones, like holidays, birthdays, and special occasions and managing family, friends, partners, and traditions, especially as we head into Thanksgiving next week and other winter holidays to follow. 
Holidays can be such a special time for many people. It can often include family gatherings. And this can bring up, as we talked about, both positive and negative experiences for people. So not or, but and. Um, one important sort of global suggestion is to manage expectations, especially one's own. Caregivers are often people who take on many tasks, but it's really important to preserve energy and prioritize. This is a critical time for asking for help and being honest and open about the need for help in things like, with things like hosting, meal preparation, and other time-intensive duties. It may be wise to pick and choose which events and gatherings um, that both you as a caregiver and, and your loved one can attend. So the simplest, least exhausting, and most enjoyable for, for both. There's also an opportunity to communicate with family and friends during holidays about a loved one's health. Sharing truth can also help reduce feelings of isolation and increase feelings of appreciation. Um, one idea is to put a note um, describing a loved one's condition in a holiday greeting card. And another way is to share a wish list directly asking for family and friends for help with things like respite, home repairs, and self-care. Another idea to consider is recording um, time with your loved one and other family or friends, either on video or even by audio. So there's a number of ways to do this, including um, sort of the old-fashioned tape recorder. But um, there, now with smartphones, uh, there are several smartphone applications that can assist with recording and archiving talks with your loved one or other family members. So the program StoryCorps, and I'll spell that, um, S-T-O-R-Y, C-O-R-P-S, so core like Marine Corps, um, is a program designed to preserve and share audio recorded stories between people um, around the world to help build connections and teach people the value of listening. And every year around Thanksgiving, StoryCorps promotes uh, what's called the Great Thanksgiving Listen to encourage family members to make recordings of interviews with their loved ones. And StoryCorps.org has some great tips for how to interview loved ones. And especially since we're headed into Thanksgiving, um, having an active gratitude practice can also really help maximize finding those positives in life when life as a caregiver can get hard. Um, this, one way of doing this is be, by writing in a daily private journal, um, or it can be on sh social media if, if, if sharing publicly um, is, sound, resonates and it sounds like it would be helpful. And it can be anything, the sound of rain on a roof, a kind gesture someone did, um, really anything. Writing it down helps internalize that feeling of gratitude for the good and making it a regular, like a daily or weekly, for example, um, practice can help cement that feeling even more. And in closing, I want to say, and, and there will be resources provided later, so don't feel like you have to write all this down, but there are um, help, there's help for caregivers out there from many sources. The National Cancer Institute has a guide on our website called the Family Caregivers in Cancer. Um, other organizations, including Cancer Care, have developed additional materials to provide resources and tips for managing the stresses of caregiving. The American Cancer Society has a page dedicated to caregivers, and the Cancer uh, Support Community, Family Caregiving Alliance, and Cancer Care all have resources. And I think, um, as I mentioned, the list of resources will be provided after the, the teleconference, so I think I'll go ahead and end there and, and turn it back over to Carolyn. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you um, so very much, um, Dr. Kent. That was really outstanding, um, and um, uh, it's just really very informative. And yes, indeed, we will be um, actually sending to everybody all the resources that uh, Dr. Kent uh, mentioned and some additional ones as well um, at the end of the program, so you'll all get them um, um, as resources with the evaluation. 
And for those of you um, who actually have signed up by paper, we'll be sending it to you a paper packet. Others will get it as an electronic um, email. So uh, stay tuned, and you'll have all those resources then at your fingertips. And our next speaker is Dr. David Fogelman. Dr. Fogelman is Assistant Professor, Department of Gastrointestinal GI Medical Oncology, Division of Cancer Medicine, University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Fogelman will be talking about the important role of a caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team. Um, he also will be addressing um, tips on working with healthcare team to manage your loved one's discomfort and caring for your loved one with pancreatic cancer. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Foldman. Okay, Carolyn, thank you so very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today and to share some thoughts with everyone. So uh, starting with the role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team, this is actually of huge importance. As a, as a clinician, I really actually appreciate it when caregivers come to appointments with their uh, loved ones, with their family and friends, because many times, you know, patients are, you know, they're often very upset, overwhelmed, and the caregiver, having a caregiver with you in these situations is really, I, I can't stress this enough, of huge importance. Some of the barriers that patients face where a caregiver uh, can be helpful uh, are organizational, you know, many patients are, you know, they've just become a patient for the first time. They're new to the medical system. They don't understand often how, you know, you know how their medical care is supposed to work. Um, and many times uh, someone who has had some exposure to the healthcare system who's been involved before, often that goes a very long way, both in helping steer the patients and also helping coach them through what is really a very stressful time for them. And sometimes uh, the help is psychological. You know, many patients uh, may feel uh, a sense of embarrassment or fear. They may not want to seek care because they are afraid that they might bother their family members. I can relate to you a story of when I was doing my training. One patient came to me. Uh, this was uh, an older woman who had had an advanced breast cancer. And she you know, had seen this developing over a period of months. But she really, you know, for various reasons, again, you know, fear, um, embarrassment, she didn't actually tell it to her family. And what happened was she was living with her family, and one of her daughters noticed that there were, you know, uh, blood stains on her clothing. And this is what actually prompted, you know, the daughter to get involved and say, hey, mom, what's going on? You know, where's this coming from? And, you know, having that help in cajoling the patient into, you know, coming for treatment, uh, was really a wonderful service that they provided to that patient. And this, you know, um, and a lot of patients, you know, often feel, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a big emotional burden that comes with having the cancer and having someone there with them to work with them and to sort of pull them along uh, can be very helpful. Um, many times patients have difficulty coordinating their own care. You know, nowadays, you know, cancer treatment, particularly for pancreatic cancer, is very complex. Patients have appointments for chemotherapy. They often have appointments for supportive care, for, often for physical therapy, for nutrition. And you know, when you're you know alone in a room with a doctor by yourself, it's hard sometimes to process um, all these things that the doctor might suggest to you. And many times, having someone there, you know, even just to record, you know, the suggestions, even just to record the conversation, be able to go over it again later with the patient. Um, can be you know, really quite helpful. Um, so if I could offer a few tips uh, for caregivers who are you know, helping 
you know, work with their loved one and, the, and their you know, health care provider. Uh, first, um, I'd suggest coming to visits prepared. You know, many times, you know, doctors have only a limited amount of time to spend with a patient. And it can be helpful if you figure out in advance, you know, what the high priority items are. Uh, for example, what symptoms are most concerning or most pressing that you want to put at the top of the list? Uh, when did these symptoms start? Um, making a list, uh, making a list ahead of time uh, will really make sure that you know you don't miss anything when you go to the doctor. And having, you know, being able to be there with you know your loved one with the patient um, can be very helpful. Um, again, make sure that you take notes. Uh, many, uh, uh, Dr. Kent had uh, referred to recording the visits. Personally, I am actually very happy to have a patient record their visit with me. I want them to leave the room knowing what it is we're trying to accomplish for them and knowing uh, what we are, you know, knowing what, we're, what we've discussed. Um, but also do understand, and Dr. Kenton mentioned this as well, you know, that the medical team does also have to protect patient health information. Um, there is the HIPAA law that requires that, you know, that the healthcare team uh, guard against inappropriate disclosures of health of health information. And, you know, many times uh, if a patient comes with me or if a patient comes to the office with a, with a uh, caregiver, you know, we'll establish from the outset, okay, the, this caregiver is entitled to hear about news on the patient. Um, because many times I, I might have a potential caregiver who has not attended a clinic visit uh, call me sort of out of the blue and say, uh, you know, hey, uh, can you tell me about my uh, loved one, so-and-so? And unless I really know who that person is and unless we've established with the patient that it's okay for this person to participate, you know, oftentimes I won't be able to divulge much information. So being, you know, being there with them and being able to establish, hey, I'm part of the team, you know, keep me involved, you know, that's often helpful if, you done, if, you, if done in advance. Also, another thing that a, a health, that a healthcare uh, 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 caregiver can do uh, is to communicate information to the healthcare team. Um, even without, you know, really, even without receiving information, you can, for example, tell the healthcare staff, you know, hey, uh, if uh, Joe has been vomiting for a couple of days, should we come see you? Uh, you can say, hey, you know, uh, is vomiting one of the side effects of the chemotherapy that Joe got this week? So, you know, there. Are, so that's another role to play, not just receiving information and processing information, but sending information to the healthcare team can be also a great importance. Um, now, pancreatic cancer, unfortunately, is a very symptomatic disease, um, and I can offer a few words of advice on managing a patient's discomfort. Um, and again, this is something that the patients you know, might not want to let you know offhand because, you know, again, many times, uh, you know, patients will you know, be relatively stoic, and they may not—they may feel that if they disclose that they're having pain, that you know, they may feel that there's a stigma that they're not being tough enough with handling their cancer. And so one, one way to approach this is, you know, first to start with a patient. Tell them, hey, I know this is scary for both of us, but I'm here for you. I'm going to help you get through this. You're not alone. Um, and, you know, it helps if you establish a sense of teamwork with the patient. Um, this will help reduce uh, distress. It will help reduce anxiety. Uh, it's important to know about new medications that patients are taking. You know, if uh, you go with your uh, with a loved one to a visit, and if the physician prescribes a new medication, find out, you know, hey, just how often should I be taking this? 
what's the right dose? Should I, do I take it with food or water or on an empty stomach? Um, so there's really quite a lot to do. Uh, and with, with respect to can pancreatic cancer in particular, um, there's a lot of roles that a, a caregiver can play. Uh, first, there's physical care, you know, organizing and giving medication, monitoring symptoms, uh, emotional care, listening to the patient, going through the, you know, the side effects, and even the emotional aspect of their disease. Um, but in particular with pancreatic cancer, uh, a lot of these patients do have significant pain. And as a caregiver, uh, one thing you might do would be to uh, learn more about what treatments there are. Narcotics, for instance, are a mainstay of, of care for pancreatic cancer pain. We sometimes use nerve blocks. We sometimes use radiation therapy to treat pain. And as a caregiver, one thing you might do to help would be to sort of keep track or keep a list of, hey, here are what options we might consider. And if pain gets worse, you know, consider these. Fatigue is very frequent, both from the cancer itself as well as from the chemotherapy. Uh, there are certain medicines, such as Ritalin and others, uh, which can help. But in addition, you know, encouraging a patient to participate in physical therapy can be very helpful. Uh, we, uh, you know, here at MD Anderson, we have a very good integrative medicine group where fatigue is one of their, it's a focus of what they do. Uh, likewise, uh, patients often with pancreatic cancer get diarrhea or indigestion. Uh, which can be treated with digestive enzymes. Poor appetite is a frequent uh, issue, and again, there are both medicines for that, but also um, also uh, mental techniques to try to keep a patient eating you know, frequent meals, um, but with relatively small volume. But these are all things that, um, that a caregiver can participate uh, and help with. I can think of one particular example of one of my own patients where um, there, the, I, have, I have a patient named Ken uh, whose family became very involved in his care, and they'll tell you that their daughters uh, helped cook for him. Um, they watched the clock and helped administer medications. Um, if you know, medication was running low, they would make sure that they got to the pharmacy and you know, make sure that they had an, an appropriate amount of medicine on hand. Um, errands, you know, help with you know, patient symptoms that in particular can be very useful. Uh, so there's really a lot that can be done. Uh, and pancreatic cancer, unfortunately, in particular, is a very symptomatic disease, uh, which uh, really both needs and demands the help of caregivers. So, you know, on behalf of all the patients, thank you for helping. And with that, I'll turn it over to Carol. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fogelman. And it's such an important message that really the caregivers in this instance are so important and really um, play such a critically important role. So thank you. And um, and our next speaker is uh, Ms. Elizabeth Ezra, Elizabeth Ezra, and Ms. Ezra is an oncology social worker, and she's our pancreatic cancer program coordinator here at Cancer Care. And Ms. Ezra is going to address long-distance caregiving, stresses of family, friends, and loved ones, self-care and stress management tips for caregivers, and also will address for all of you the can Cancer Care's free psychosocial programs and services. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my colleague, um, and uh, Liz, Ezra. Thank you, Carolyn. I am happy to be part of this important call today. I am an oncology social worker, and I work with many people with pancreatic cancer and their loved ones. Loved ones. I would like to begin by speaking about some unique joys and stresses of caregiving. First, I'd like to speak about long-distance caregiving. For many people, caregiving can come in untraditional ways. 
Many people with cancer have caregivers who live far away. We refer to them as long-distance caregivers. This is a term and an experience that can be unfamiliar and confusing. I want to remind anyone who is fulfilling this role that you can be a meaningful part of your loved one's cancer experience, whether you live locally or are caring from a long distance. Caregivers who are not local to their loved one can provide significant emotional support, a listening ear, and offer a sense of camaraderie and social support for their loved one by phone, text, email, and via Skype. Technology is certainly an advantage and can help you to feel connected and in the loop. Staying in touch and being emotionally available to talk about difficult subjects often, brings, brings, often helps the patient to feel supported and can help a long-distance care, caregiver feel like they are contributing and being helpful. This layer of emotional support is often as helpful as providing physical care, so it is important to keep this in mind. I actually have a client who required her brother to call her every day with a joke. So they were separated by many, many miles, and so he called every day, and his job was to make her laugh. And I think that there, everyone will agree that that's an incredible, incredibly valuable um, asset for anyone who's anyone. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with cancer or not. Caregivers can also help with many practical tasks on the medical side of their loved one's care. They can coordinate medical appointments and records. They can get to know the medical team and advocate for their loved one's needs, both health-related and otherwise, regardless of their physical location. Consider sending your loved one a list of questions that you have. They may be able to discuss them with their doctors and get some answers or clarity. This can help you to feel involved, gets your, in, your questions answers, and it also reminds the patient that, they're, that you're there for them. Long-distance caregivers can also help their loved one with day-to-day -day things to help them get organized. They can manage household bills or finances, organize legal paperwork, and can, can direct them to resources and information about things like advanced directives, wills, and healthcare proxies. These are important things to help ensure that your loved one is being well cared for on all levels and across the continuum of care. You can also help your loved one to enlist additional support. You can arrange for other friends and family to drop off meals or coordinate transportation. You can learn about local support groups or workshops that they can attend. Patients often rely on their caregivers to take on some of this legwork when they don't have the energy, and these tasks usually take a phone call or an email, so they are well-suited for caregivers who aren't nearby. Lastly, long-distance caregivers often struggle with feelings of guilt and wish that they could do more for their loved ones with cancer. So remind yourself of all that you are doing rather than focusing only on what you cannot do. Give yourself credit for the effort you have made and check in with your loved one to see if they have any suggestions about how you can continue to be of help to them. 
like my co-presenters spoke of earlier, remember to take care of yourself. Long-distance caregivers need support too. So reach out to a support group or contact a social worker to help you make meeting out of your caregiver experience. Now I will talk about caregiving for family, partners, friends, and loved ones, and the stresses that come with it. Family members, partners, friends, and loved ones are affected by cancer in a different way than the patient, but do have stressors of their own that come up along the trajectory of cancer and treatment. While they may not be physically living with the diagnosis themselves, they live with and are affected by cancer each day. Cancer caregivers witness many of the challenges that the patient faces, including side effects, changes in mood, feelings of sadness, and this can be disheartening and painful to see. This experience can be both can both physically and emotionally impact the caregiver or loved one as they may be adding new responsibilities to, to an already busy schedule in order to provide direct care. Or they may be looking for ways to be a source of support in the midst of many changes. Family, friends, partners, and loved ones often feel unsure of how to help a patient or what to do or what to say or may feel ill-equipped to provide the care and support that is required. Caregivers aren't given a manual so that they are facing a lot of uncertainty with how to tackle their job. Family members and loved ones often express feelings of helplessness, and as a result, they may feel scared, anxious, or depressed. The network of people that are supporting the person with cancer, including family, friends, and partners, often work hard to find balance between their needs and someone else's, and often feel that the patient's needs come first. This may lead them to make sacrifices regarding their own self-care in order to support the patient. You may have heard the terms caregiver fatigue or caregiver burnout, and these are very real experiences for cancer caregivers and loved ones and can impact their physical and emotional wellness. Some of the concerns that come up for loved ones are how to best support the patient, even if they disagree with or don't understand the patient's decisions or choices. While this is a normal part of any relationship, this can create feelings of guilt, anger, frustration for the caregiver, as well as for the patient. Many caregivers and loved ones also share that they feel the need to be strong and put on a brave face for the patient, which can leave them feeling exhausted or overwhelmed. Caregivers need support with all of these things so that they best can take care of themselves and their loved ones with cancer. Lastly, I'd like to talk about the importance of taking care of yourself and some stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience. Self-care is an integral part of the caregiver experience, and I've certainly mentioned that several times throughout this discussion, and for good reason. 
in order to be a good caregiver to somebody else, you have to take care of yourself. You know that that message that reiterate on the airplane, you've, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. The same goes for caregiving. When we talk about self-care, we mean both physical and emotional care. Focusing on both can help ensure that you are in a good place and are equipped to take on the responsibility and the impact of caregiving. Some tips that I offer to caregivers when it comes to self-care is to start with the basic. Are you eating three meals a day? Are you getting an adequate amount of sleep? Are you doing some kind, of, some kind of physical activity at least once a day? One thing that caregivers find especially helpful is to start your self-care regimen with the idea of maintaining what already works rather than adding lots of extras because then that can leave you feeling more exhausted and a failure because you can't keep up with all of that. Be sure that you are taking care of your own physical health by scheduling regular physical exams with your doctors and are on top of any other follow-up care that you may need. Getting organized and keeping a calendar of your own appointments that help you to make this a priority. It's true that feeling physically healthy can improve your mood and outlook, so the benefits are twofold both for you and your loved one. There's also a common misconception that self-care has to take a lot of time or money, but sometimes all it takes is a little creativity. We know that you may not have an opportunity for a spa day or a vacation, but can you go for a short work, walk on your lunch break, call a friend, journal, schedule a monthly date, night to look forward to. Self-care can even mean something as simple as taking some slow, deep breaths when you're feeling overwhelmed, spending five extra minutes in the shower, or going to bed 30 minutes earlier than you normally would. Being intentional with your self-care efforts can make them part of your daily routine, and they can make you feel better, able to tolerate some of the challenges that come with caregiving and ultimately help you manage stress. It also makes you feel like you're in control. And a lot of times when you're dealing with somebody with cancer, when you're the patient or the caregiver, the, one of the biggest losses is a sense of control. Reaching out for additional support is another healthy way to cope with stress and to improve self-care. This can leave you feeling stronger and more resilient, whether it's spending time with supportive friends or family members, connecting with a counselor or joining a support group. Feeling connected with others can be restorative and encouraging. It can also help you to feel less alone in your experience. And now I'd like to talk about Cancer Care's um, services. Keep in mind that Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization staffed by licensed master level oncology social workers, and we provide some of the support that can help you manage stress and care for yourself. All of our services are completely free of charge. 
We are experienced in helping people to manage the emotional, physical, and financial challenges that arise after a diagnosis and throughout the caregiver experience. Cancer Care offers individual counseling and support groups, as well as educational resources like Connect Education, you're listening, the Connect Education Workshop you're, you're listening to today. We can provide information about other resources, practical help, and some limited financial assistance. If you are interested in learning more about our services or, or participating in a cancer care support group, please call our toll-free helpline at 1-800-813-4673 to speak with an oncology social worker or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. Org for more information. We have a telephone support group right now for people with pancreatic cancer and an online support group for, for all of you caregivers out there. And lastly, I want to commend you all on listening to this call today because that's one step in taking good care of yourselves. Please remember that you are not alone. Cancer Care Services are here to help you. Thank you for your attention and, the t and for the opportunity to talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Ezra. That was really outstanding and wonderful and lots of good information and lots of good self-care tips for everyone. So thank you for that. And now we have time for questions. Um, and I'm going to ask Candace to um, actually bring all of our speakers on board for the Q&A and also to explain to everybody how to queue up for questions. And we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Now, of course, there may be some questions that we can't take today, and if that happens, it probably will happen. At the end of the call, I will give you resources to get your questions answered so that no one feels when, we, when the call ends that you didn't, we didn't get to your question. So, um, uh, Candace, if you could explain to everybody how to queue up for questions, and again, we'll let the questions begin then. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star and then the number one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, to ask a question at this time, please press star one. We have a question from one of our online participants. Um, and I'm going to actually um, direct it first to um, Ms. Ezra, and then others please add if you wish to. Um, how do I find out about caregiving services in my community? So Ms. Ezra, if you could address this um, question in general. So I'm, I mean, I, I would need to know a little bit more about what caregiver um, programs are you looking for, a support group, um, what I suggest if, you, if that's what it is. The American Cancer Society keeps a very nice list of local resources uh, um, nationwide. So um, you could call them at 1-800-227-2345, or you can visit their website at cancer.org. Um, you could also call us at uh, Cancer Care, and we could help you, um, you know, find that, that match. Um, I find that, that the local Hospital social workers are, know a lot about what, what's happening in their communities, so I would also touch base with them. Excellent, very comprehensive. Does anyone want to add anything to that um, in terms of just other, how you could find caregiving services in your community? Um, Dr. Kent or Dr. Fogelman? I think that was a good start. Um, I would, you know, 
Cancer Support Community is another national program that lists um, various local resources to also look at. Um, but I would, I, would, I would just echo everything that Ezra said. And if I could add just one more thing, uh, yes. there are online uh, pancreatic cancer discussion boards. Uh, Johns Hopkins, for example, has one. And my, uh, my understanding is that a lot of patients uh, and caregivers, for that matter, uh, are able to you know, ask questions and uh, you know, find sort of crowdsource uh, you know, where they might go for help in a certain vicinity. That might be one other option to look at. Excellent. Um, and actually, of course, and then of course we also will, and we'll say this often, but you also can try your health care team first to let them know that you need caregiving resources just to see if they might have something within their, um, within the, the center itself or in their, that they may know the community and it may be the oncology social the oncology nurse, the, um, the, the patient navigator, um, the, the oncologist. People just may know of other resources. So you can see that everyone here can give you different ideas about that. So excellent question. We have a question from one of our online participants. Um, um, and the question is, how can caregivers, well, um, I'm going to ask actually um, Dr. Kent if you could take this question and then I'll, I'll open to others as well. How can caregivers be more emotionally available? Any tips for the question about it? Because it's really hard for caregivers. They're pretty stressed out. But how, how can they be more emotionally available to people? Um, is that, would that be a, just sort of in general or directly? In general. Okay. It's really just a general yeah. question like how, um, and as, um, specifically. So I, I would say that, you know, I would just actually, you know, echo some of the things we've already said, um, especially what Ezra covered in terms of self-care and resilience, that um, sometimes it really requires, I mean, to be fully and sort of maximally functional, we need to have our basic needs met. And so really focusing on self-care um, not necessarily adding a whole lot of new practices um, uh, unless that's something one is seeking, but just focusing on the basic basic needs. So sleep, um, exercise, and that can mean, you know, walking up and down the stairs, walking around the block, getting the blood flowing, you know, starting off incrementally, um, eating, really making sure that you're getting your basic nutrition needs met. So trying to find time, even if it's 10 minutes, to actually sit down and eat. Um, good nutritious foods. Those things are actually critically important to our um, emotional availability and emotional resilience as well. So I think that's that's a that's a building block. But um, you know, there's there can be a, a, a lot of other um, sort of hurdles to get over to to, to sort of be more emotionally available and present. Um, I think it really goes back a bit to uh, support as well. So. Um, really seeking both um, instrumental support to have more space, to be able to um, have more time alone um, or have more time to be able to process feelings, um, as well as uh, seeking emotional support, finding a trusted other, whether that be a friend, a neighbor, um, you know, a family member, where you can um, quite openly share and process feelings. I think that's incredibly important. But but that can also be found um, from, from a more formally trained healthcare provider as well. Um, I, I guess I'd turn it over to Ezra to see if you have any other thoughts. I actually do. I think that um, it can be very isolating to be um, a pancreatic cancer caregiver or a pancreatic cancer patient. So I, I do like the idea of 
being set somewhere where other people are going through what you're doing, and either that's what um, Dr. Fogelman was talking about at the other website or being on, on our website or joining my group. It's just a place where you don't really have to explain yourself. People understand what it is, um, and you can be, um, you can ask your questions. It, you know, it's hard. It's, there's a lot of existential existential thought that goes into being a caregiver, you know, what's the best thing, you know, am I doing a good job, um, what's happening with this person's health, is it declining, is he stable, is, you know, there's so many things happening and you're, 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 you're juggling all these, these plates and balls in the air. So, I mean, finding a um, place where you feel safe can help you be a better caregiver. And, and help you face what is coming. To be a, a good caregiver, you have to, you know, be where the patient is. The patient is going through their own set of, of transitions, and so, you know, sometimes that makes it difficult. Some patients are angry sometimes. Some pa patients are silent sometimes. Some pa patients don't want to eat. You know, they're not always what you could say, I'm putting quotes up, the good patients. So there's a lot of trials to this, and you have to take baby steps sometimes. And Liz, could you say something about, I know many people on the call may not have ever experienced counseling services or um, really talked to someone about what's really troubling them. So I wondered if you could just say a word about, you may have covered this already, but it, it is an important thing because often people may be, some people will very eagerly embrace that service, but others will think, what is this, and don't quite understand what's involved. So, um, of course, that could be a whole other conference call, but if you could just briefly say something about that. Um. Well, I think that what's, what I'd like to say is that at Cancer Care, you have, a, you know, there's a variety. You can pick it as you want to. You can have individual, either counseling over the telephone, or if you're in, in our, one of our northeast locations, you can come in. Um, we have this online program that's pretty extensive, and we also, um, you know, have these programs where you can get to know and we can give you resources. You know, our social workers are, are really trained in how to, you know, be where you are. What is it that you need? Like the first thing I say when somebody, either I'm on the phone with somebody or they come into my office is, you know, how can I be of help to you? What brings you here today? What's troubling you? And, you know, it can be anything. It can be like I can't afford to, you know, get to treatment. It can be, you know, my mother is driving me crazy. She's not listening to what the doctor is saying. Or it can be my daughter is driving me crazy. She's hovering all over me, and all I want is to be left alone. So, you know, there's so many different things that go on into the, into the interactions between the person with cancer and the person who's there to help them, that, you know, it's nice to be able to process them and to take a step back and to have somebody else listen to you and kind of help you make those, that communication more effective. So I'm a, I am a big believer in talking and working things out by talking. So... Um, we, we're, it's a good place to start by just calling our 800 number. 
Excellent. Thank you. And it's kind of one-stop shopping. We will refer people to other places as well. And we yeah. do have certainly um, – oh, do you want to do a comment on that? Right. ways of helping people, absolutely. And I do want to mention PanCan as a resource also. Um, and they have been very supportive of this program today. And they offer a range of services that um, people may wish to access. All that information is in the resource materials you got before the program, and we'll be sending it to you after the program. But it's a, it's a very specific program for pancreatic cancer. It's a pancreatic cancer organization and does have a whole menu of services that can be incredibly helpful to many of you on the call as well. So we want people to know that there's a lot of choices for you, and, and it's okay to use all of them in different ways to get the support community, Cancer Care, the American Cancer Society. We're all there to help, and indeed, you may find different pieces from each organization, or you may find one that really, really fits what you need. So, um, but we do encourage you to kind of try them out and see which one works best for you. Um, that really is important as well. And, and if I can just say one, yes. one thing, yes, Carolyn, please. what yes. PanCan has is their program that's called PALS, where they'll match you up with somebody else who's gone through what you're going through, so either the caregiver or the patient. So that's something that, that Cancer Care does not provide you with on a one-to-one. -one. We do not have a buddy system uh, program but PALS at PANCAN does. So you should, if, you, if that's what you want to do, talk to somebody else one-to-one, -one, I would, I would def definitely give them a call. Thank you. Excellent. So that's a wonderful resource. And, um, and now there is another question, which is really a very good one. Um, and actually it is, um, as a caregiver, um, how, and I'm going to ask Liz to address this first. Um, as a caregiver, how do you help a, a person who does not want any help? So how do, you, how do you help if someone says, I really don't want you helping? So, um, Ms. Ezra, if you could address that first, and then I'll ask each of our other speakers to address it. Well, I, I mean, it's, that's like the, you know, $500 million question. I think, you know, sometimes it's the choice of words that we use, um, that maybe sometimes if we say something a different way, maybe people would be more open to the help. Um, sometimes you have to give the person time to, to process it and, and, and decide on their own that that's what they want. I spoke earlier about having control. A lot of times I think people with cancer, um, they execute their control by kind of being stubborn. You know, you don't have to tell me I'm not listening to you. I'll listen to the doctor maybe, but I don't have to listen to you. Um, so you have to figure out. So maybe it's cajoling. Maybe it's, you know, using all your diplomatic skills. You know, I think um, anyone who's been a parent knows that, you know, one of the best things to do is to figure out how to be diplomatic and how to negotiate and how to kind of lead from behind. So it's, it's, it's all of those skills come into, you know, come to the forefront when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't want to do what you think is what they should be doing. But it's difficult. Excellent. And anyone else wish to add, Dr. Kent or Dr. Fogelman? <clears throat> it really is a challenge, and I, I think you're correct. You really need to sort of try to delve into why and see what you can do to, you know, to try to channel that resistance into a better direction. It's hard. That's one of the toughest challenges mm -hmm. uh, that we can find, actually. 
And indeed, that might be the chance that if that person doesn't want help, that you, would you want to comment on just sometimes it's okay then for you to seek help if that person will let you help them just to see if there's some ways just in talking or, or just to get some support for yourself. I mean, kind of, yeah. because that's very hard. It's very tricky. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I Actually, a lot of the caregivers that I speak to have very stubborn loved ones, and, you know, they are very frustrated by that, and a lot of what we talk about is, um, two things, uh, you know, one is that you can't change the other person. It's really hard. It takes a really long time. But the only thing that you can do is change yourself, change how you react to them. And sometimes that helps because it then doesn't, like, you know, circle and circle and circle and cause an explosion. So sometimes it's really just taking a step back and, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to comment right now. I'm not going to do this. But, you know, it's a lot of stress on both sides. I do think, and I say this all the time in my practice, it's much harder to be a caregiver because you really have so many things going on and you have to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be very good at caregiving. Such an important point. And Dr. Kent, do you want to comment on just that, that issue that the caregivers really do experience greater stress than, um, than the person dealing with cancer directly? themselves in terms of patients. Sure, I mean I think it can be um, it, it can be very dynamic depending on what's going on in the in the given moment or the given time period, and and it so and it changes right depending on um, sort of where one is in that um, in that treatment trajectory. Um, I really liked about uh, about what Liz said about um, kind of just trying different approaches and. And what Dr. Fogelman said about coming, you know, trying to figure out what the, the challenges are, what what are, the, what are they stemming from, and sort of I like this phrase of coming in sideways, um, you know, just mm-hmm. really trying to, um, and that can be sort of applied in a lot of different ways. But, um, I mean, I think part of the stress can emanate from questioning oneself. And, um, and if, you, if you get to a place where you feel like you've done everything that you can do, um, and then try to let go of some of the things that you cannot control. I mean, that's kind of that's, that can be a goal for uh, for for many caregivers, I think. And I think that can also help. Um, I want to say I will not say eliminate, um, but reduce the stress. But it requires a lot of resources in terms of spending energy on. So um, that, that's why I'll come back to, um, you know. Caregivers need need to be thinking about not only their own self care, but seeking support from others. So having secondary carers, and um, when when one is not in a direct caregiving situation, like you know, if, if if one is not serving at a caregiver at a certain time, like we should all be reaching out to figure out like, which of our friends and family members are going through this, and how can I support them? It really needs to be a, um, a it works best when we're in a community of carers, I would say. Um, I think that helps sort of reduce um, everyone's stress. Well, that's a wonderful phrase, a community of carers, which we actually are on this call. We can't see each other, but there's a community of carers here on the call. I'll mm-hmm. point you the very best, actually, which is really what more can we ask. And the fact that you're on the call is so extraordinary that each of you have chosen to spend this time um, to address this, these issues, so I, um, 
I have to say I want to thank our speakers. You've been really extraordinary. Um, I want to thank our participants who've really online asked such really great questions. And I also want to ask all of you who've been, and also thank all of you who've been listening. And I do want to remind you this is a one-hour program and that in planning this program, we know that you have many questions that go far beyond the scope of a one-hour workshop. And so um, I want to first address the issue of questions that we didn't get to answer. So for any questions that have a medical base to them, but then really are medically focused, um, I would definitely recommend that you call the National Cancer Institute at 1-800-422-6237. Again, 1-800-422-6237 or their website, cancer.gov. And indeed, that information, of course, has been sent to you and we will send it as well. For any of you, though, who wish to talk with any one of our oncology social workers here at Cancer Care in terms of just getting some additional support, um, learning about resources, practical and financial assistance that we may be able to offer to you and your loved ones, um, actually um, uh, signing up for future programs, all of that, I would say, um, and ordering publications from us, all that kind of stuff, I would say go ahead and call our 800 number at Cancer Care at 1-800-813-4673. And of course, our staff will, will uh, it's, not, it's not just about cancer care because there are many other resources out there for you as well. We've mentioned many of them on the call today, PANCAN, Cancer Support Community, American Cancer Society, and many others. And so our staff will definitely, in addition to whatever we offer, will really want to link your particular requests to the services that you have in your community. And I should also say that your healthcare team, for medical questions, for resources in your community, definitely, of course, always use your healthcare team as a go-to place as well. But to supplement it, these are other things to consider. Um, now, we, in concluding today's program, we don't want any one of you to feel alone. And we know that you often do feel alone, and one struggles with those things. We want you to know that you're now part of the community of support here, and that we are here to help you. Today's program, indeed, will be um, available as a podcast. So if you want to listen to it again and again, feel free to. It'll be up in about a day or two, and it'll be on replay 24 hours a day. Podcasts are there. 365 days a year, and so it's available for you to listen to it if there are things that you would find useful that someone said that you'd like to hear again and again. Um, also, um, so I, 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 we do have a program coming up uh, called Managing Sensory Disruptions During Cancer Treatments, which really has to do with all many of the uh, side effects of treatment that can sometimes cause um, concern around balance or neuropathy or vision or hearing or uh, taste and smell. So those are things that um, this program will kind of address. It's a little different program. It's one that many of you have requested that we offer um, in the past, and we are offering it on December 5th. So with that being said, I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. And thank you all for being such extraordinary caregivers to spend this time with us on the call today. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes today's workshop, and you may all disconnect. Have a great day, everyone.